So who would like to read through this? We're just sort of doing that a little bit like what we did with Isaiah 6, what we did with Isaiah 8 over there. Um, can someone want to volunteer to read all 11 verses there? Who wants to do that tonight? All right, Steve. Isaiah 35. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord, and confess Yahweh, who confess the, the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city, and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth, and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, My idol did them, my carved image, and my metal image commanded them. You have heard now, see all this, and you will not declare it. From this time forth, I announce to you, I shema to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are now, they are created now, not long ago. Before today, you have never heard of them, lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old, your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. For my name's sake I defer my anger. For my sake, for the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that you may not, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So this is God speaking through Isaiah. Right. Yep. Exactly. Which is really what he's doing pretty much in all of Isaiah. <laughs> Which is really what the whole word of God is. <laughs> it's God speaking through men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, um, two weeks ago, we looked at verse 1. Um, I think verse 1 along with verse 2. And I asked a question. Um, anybody remember what that question was that I asked that we ended up arriving at this? For those of you who are here, why did, what did we create this? Another word for God? It's what? Another word for God? What do we call ourselves? What we call ourselves. Very good. What we call ourselves. Because if you look at verse 1 and 2, you can see that Israel calls themselves certain things. You know, um, they call themselves the house of Jacob. They're called Israel. Okay. Waters of Judah. Um, they swear by the name of Yahweh. Um, they call themselves the holy city, Jerusalem. Okay, um, a God of Israel, Lord of hosts of his name. So there's all these different things that they identify themselves with. Either God is calling them this, or they're calling themselves that. 
And so I said, you know, what is a list of things that we would call ourselves today? Okay, which was fascinating because we came up with a pretty comprehensive list oh, that's right. of, of all the different things that we would call ourselves. Um, something interesting happens in Isaiah 40 through 45, through 55, the section that we're in. Um, in fact, if you take a look uh, down at verse... On, our, on the green part here. Um, yeah, verse 6. Notice what it says, it says, You have heard, now see all this, and you will not declare it. From this time forth I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. And we're talking about how that is really God saying in Isaiah 40, the things now God is going to be doing new things. In the past, he's announced things. They, he's brought them to pass. Um, he's done it in surprising ways, that it says. Um, so we talked about the whole idea of how prophecy is really not focused on knowing what's going on in the future, but really in assurance of what God has done when he has given his word in the past. And so prophecy becomes, is predictive prophecy can be called, is that God, as we see in... Verse 3, the former things I declared to you of old, and those were things we talked about all the way from, I guess you could say creation, but really like the exodus and all these things God promised he would do, he did, and he did them suddenly <laughs> to make sure that we couldn't claim credit for that, okay? Um, and, we, and we went through that whole passage here, but... In Isaiah 40, we're now in a whole new chapter in God's, in the time of God's people. We're not in Isaiah, you know, roughly 1 through 39 that covered the, we looked at this last week, that covers the time period of Ahaz and Hezekiah. Um, but we are now in a whole different period in Isaiah 40. So Isaiah 40 is addressing the people in a completely new situation too. They're in a different situation they've ever been in before. And remember, what is the situation of Isaiah 40 through 55? Where are, where are God's people that, that he's addressing? Like, where are they? <laughs> before in Isaiah 1 through 39, they were in where? I think had it right. Babylon. Yeah, Babylon. Right, exactly. Okay. Captives. Yeah, the captives in Babylon. All right. And they're waiting for the um, they're waiting for the exile, and they're hoping that they're going to be able to come back. Okay, and we know, like within Nehemiah and Ezra, we know that a lot of people did come back. But one thing that's sort of interesting in the role of Israel is pretty much when people look historically at Israel, Israel has never really fully come back. There's never been a full exile. I mean, for a full return, mm -hmm. return from exile of the people. And you still have them scattered, you know, around the earth. But so Isaiah 40 through 55 is speaking to these people who are like, we've been exiled. Where is our hope? Is God still with us? Is he still the God he said that he was? Um, and so Isaiah here is talking, going to be announcing, God's going to be announcing through Isaiah, these new things. Well, one of those new things is how God is going to now address his people. 
So we saw here in one and two different ways in which God called his people or the people were identified with him. Like this, what we said for ourselves here. But there's a new way God is going to address his people. He's going to call them something he has not called them before. Anybody want to guess <laughs> at what that is? What is God going to call his people that he has not called them before? Dumb. Huh? And I'm going to say in Isaiah. He has not called them before. Let me be specific. He has not called them this within Isaiah before. I'll be probably children? before. Children. Huh? Yeah. Children? Children? Okay, that's a, that's a good guess. Not children the answer, is like <laughs> chapter <laughs> 1, verse 3 or something where he calls them children. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what does he not call the, his people yet in Isaiah that he's now going to call them? All right. Why don't you turn to Isaiah 41. Servant. Hmm? What did you say? Servant. Servant. Say that loud, Reuben? Servant. Servant. Where do you see that? Uh, 41 8. And then Excellent. Very, very good. Very, very good. <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay. So here what we see is in Isaiah 41, we see for the first time in Isaiah that God's people are called by God, my servant. So you see that there? Mm -hmm. But you, Israel, my servant. And then you see in verse 9, saying to you, you are my servant. Alright, and we're going to see many times that God addresses his people now as my servant. Um, Why do you think he does that? Why do you think he's doing that here? Any thoughts? Why all of a sudden would he start calling them my servant? Maybe instead of serving the world and themselves, they're going to serve God. Okay. All right. Good. Not that I have an answer for this. I'm just wondering yeah. what you think. I mean, it's like all of a sudden he's going to start calling them my servant. Well, he has he not done that before. Who, sh- who shall I send? Yeah. So, uh, okay. Uh, he needs people to be in that place. Uh-huh. To send out. Yeah, he's kind of pre- preparing them perhaps for a time of, you know, going out and serving others. And, All right. You know, being, getting ready for the Christ to be born, perhaps. You know. Okay. I think it's kind of a backdoor way of getting the pecking order straight. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, they haven't been too much of a servant up to this point. Yeah, good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, my notes. Yeah, like you mentioned, it's uh, confidence of God. Work with they're working with God. Uh huh. And I reference Genesis 17:7, kind of uh, back to Abraham's covenant. You know what that says there? I can look it up. I don't. Yeah. What does that say? That'd be interesting now.
So I now establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you through, throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So it's, uh, I guess it's the uh, covenant about multiplying yeah, his good. people. So. Yeah, yeah, all right. Sort of, and it's not sort of fulfilling the covenant. It's kind of like a relationship because a master has the duty to take care of his servants. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Okay, so it's not just the people being a servant to God, but also it's calling upon, in a sense, God saying, I have this commitment to you. Mm-hmm. And think about that, what Reuben said, it goes along yeah. with that. It's like, God's the one that made the covenant with the people. <laughs> All right, that yeah, covenant is still Genesis in place. Genesis 1, it wasn't, 17, 7. Depending on the covenant we're talking about, it wasn't conditional. So God's saying, you're still my people. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's reminding him about that. All right? It almost looks like I mean, not that this would be separate, but he's speaking to Israel. Yes. The, the man, right? Because he goes, well, I mean, Abraham, <laughs> my friend, Jacob, I've chosen, Israel, uh-huh. my servant. I mean, it's, it's like kind of legacy or this lineage. Thing yeah. 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 Not that that's excluded from Israel. No, but, but I know. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, it is interesting, right? He's called, he addresses Israel as Jacob, mm-hmm. um, or Jacob, <laughs> who became Israel, which is interesting mm-hmm. now, and we're gonna, we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but why is he using the term Jacob here? Mm-hmm. That's a new, that's new too. Yeah, I'm he does that. Jacob. Yeah, why do you, just think about what, what would God be doing by saying, I'm not gonna go back to that name that I, that you're not called that anymore, what do you think that might remind Israel of? Well, it was there to remind them that where they came from. Yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe they still have some characteristics of Jacob. Stolen birthright. <laughs> the deceiver. Yeah. Yeah. Conniving. Yeah. The offspring yeah. of Abraham. Right, right. <laughs> anybody else? Anybody else think of what? Um, what's another reason? Any other reasons why you think that he might be using that term servant now? Well, it's kind of an elevation because servant is a very, probably the highest position of <clears throat> prestige you could have in God's eye. Huh? Interesting. Wow. I didn't think about that. That's that's that is interesting that you say that. <clears throat> I mean, that's just my opinion. Yeah. No, but that's, that's fascinating. Most people would not think that, right? Yeah. Most people would not think that would be a title of prestige. Yeah, that's interesting. Gosh, yeah. That's good. Because the spiritual life. Yeah. 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 The spiritual life, right. but in the spiritual right. sense, no, that's you can't serve him is the highest position. Right. So can't serve according two, to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, can't serve two masters. Yeah. Either God, God or money. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, you're serving the creator of all things. Mm-hmm. What higher position could there be? Yeah. Yeah, it's also sort of putting them in their place, saying, "Excuse me, but this is why I created you." Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. But it, but it is like, I mean, you look at the next two labels. Right? Yeah. He says, "My servant." Then he says, "My chosen." Right. Then he says, "My friend." My friend. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is. But which are all things he calls us to do? Right. Right. <laughs> right. Or Jesus says, you. "If you obey me, I call yeah. you friend." Right. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. One thing we get mixed up, so you say that right now, is that that we tend to call God our friend. Yeah. We are never told to call God our friend. 
Okay. And we are to call him our master, our Lord. That's right. But God calls us his friend, but it's never the other way around. Yeah. And you know, you listen to songs the way people talk, oh, God's my friend. Oh. No. No. <laughs> doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I guess you're in trouble where all of a sudden you're not the servant anymore <laughs> with it. Um, so even though Israel is being called here for the first time a servant, someone else has been called a servant in Isaiah before this time. Jesus? No. No. Cyrus? No. Not Cyrus? No. Before this time. So, this is the first occurrence, as Reuben pointed out, this is the first occurrence of Israel being called my servant. But there's someone else who is called my servant in Isaiah. In fact, there's more than one person who's called my servant in Isaiah. Before, well, I will say just even before this point. Who else is called my servant? Anybody? Any thoughts? Why don't you guys turn to Isaiah 23. So Isaiah 23. Who else is called my servant? Isaiah. Isaiah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. That should have been obvious. <laughs> All right, so you can see Isaiah, which, if you think about it, remember when we talked about Isaiah 6, Isaiah becomes representative of what? Of Israel. Okay. So here we see Isaiah already being called my servant from God. Who else do you think might be called my servant in Isaiah? Before Isaiah 41. Anybody think? Who else does God call his servant that might appear within Isaiah? Let's do it that way. The Messiah. Hmm? The Messiah? Well, not yet. No. Not Hezekiah. Liakim, son of Hilkiah. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah. So I was going to skip. I, I was going to skip them. I was going to skip them just for the sake of it. Be like, who in the heck is that? Um, but there is. Where is that? Um, twenty-two twenty. 2220. That's both. Yeah, so you end up having this other figure that ends up 2220. That's good. Um, where you have someone else called my servant. All right. Um, which we've never heard of him. Any of you ever heard of him before? <laughs> I did not heard of him. Um, how about someone you have heard of in Isaiah that would be called servant? Prior to now, one of the kings. Yeah, yeah. what did I just hear? Who did I just hear? David. David. Very good, Bruce. Yeah. Very, very good. Okay. So if you turn, if you look at Isaiah thirty-seven, thirty-five. Which I'm sure has been called my servant before. Um, but Isaiah thirty-seven, thirty-five. For I will defend this city to save it. 
for my own sake and for the sake of my servant, servant David. David. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> okay. So now, who are we missing in all of Isaiah that is called my servant? Who are we missing in all of Isaiah that is called my servant? So we haven't we haven't said this person yet. Someone we should <laughs> give you a hint. Isaiah forty two. Okay, what does Isaiah first one say? Behold my servant who I uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. Or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he establishes justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. So, who is that, Peter? The Messiah. How do you know that? Good guess. context. A context. <laughs> Context. Okay, I'm... That's a good answer. <laughs> Anybody else want to go for that one? He just found another place. He is right that this is the place where someone else is called my servant. You can cross-reference this. A, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. I think that cross-references to New Testament, so that could be, yeah, you know, um, identifying that with Jesus. Identifying Jesus with the, these verses. Okay. Why don't you guys turn? We're doing a little Bible thing today, but turn to Matthew twelve fifteen. Matthew twelve fifteen. Okay. Who wants to read Matthew twelve fifteen through twenty one? Not Peter, since he just did. Okay, Gil, why don't you go ahead and read that? God's chosen servant. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty explicit, huh? <laughs> it, says, it says the same words in, in 42.1, uh-huh. I have put my spirit upon him. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you, you see here that Jesus himself is saying, I am the my servant being addressed by God in Isaiah. Wow, yeah. I mean, you can't get more direct right, right there. Okay. Would you say that again, please? <laughs> No, no, you can't get more direct than Jesus himself saying that he is 
the my servant that's being addressed by God, Isaiah, in Isaiah 42. Mm -hmm. So what you're seeing here is that Jesus is saying, I am the one who Isaiah is referring to in Isaiah 42. That's, mm -hmm. like I said, you know, that there it is. <laughs> Can't get much more explicit than that. All right. Isaiah, I think 53, also uses the term my servant that we know. But here what's neat is that you see that direct reference. Direct you reference. see Jesus saying, I am my servant. Zechariah also says in 3.8, he says, I will bring forth my servant mm -hmm. a branch. Mm -hmm. So, didn't Isaiah use branch as well? Yeah, pro probably. Yeah, yeah. I like Ruben's answer because when you talk about first and 42, about cho being chosen, and then the spirit being imparted, and then what will happen? It will bring forth justice to nations. The context is so powerful that this isn't just another prophet. Right. This is something really special that can affect nations. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Good. Were you guys doing something, Jeff? I, you were. I saw you. Were. I didn't know I saw you at one point looking like you were going to say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, now, did we use that term at all in our description of ourselves? Do you guys see that in here at all? Nope. We did that. We did, did we? This is obedient servants. Does it? Yeah. Good. Where did that? Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> right there. Now we also called ourselves something else in here that that was here that relates to this. I want you guys to turn to Isaiah twenty four. So look at Isaiah 24. <clears throat> so at the very beginning of Isaiah 24. Now, I, I want, I'm going to just read one and two. It says, Isaiah, Isaiah 24 says, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be, as with the people, so with the priest, as with the slave, so with the master, as with the maid, so with her mistress. You see the word slave there? That word is Obed, sure. roughly. Obed mm -hmm. is the Hebrew word behind the word slave in the Old Testament. Yep. Okay. When you turn to Isaiah 41, forty-one eight, and it says, "But you, Israel, my servant." Anybody want to guess what the Hebrew word is behind servant? 
Obed. <laughs> Those of you who we went through which book? Did we talk about this? Obadiah. Yeah, but not, yeah, but not <laughs> book. I should say, which study did we do as men where we brought up the subject? Galatians. Galatians. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> All right. Um, because what does, what does, what are we called in Galatians? Awesome. Do those. And what is do what is the meaning of doulos? Slave. Slave. Okay. Notice how we actually use the word slave of Christ down here? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um So when you guys think of it, you hear the word servant. In fact, if you remember when we went to Galatians and we read like Galatians one ten, we had a whole discussion around that at the time for the viewer here. Alright? Because many translations translate the word doulos in Galatians 1.10 as what word? Bondservant. Bondservant or just simply servant. 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 Okay. And we talked and had a whole discussion there about what is doulos. Okay, with that. Um, so you see, you see a lot of times in our translations we see servant and we see slave. And we see sometimes, you know, about how that is translated there. Mm-hmm. When you think today, when you think of a servant, or you think of a slave. So if I say I'm my servant, or I say my slave, what is? How would you distinguish those two terms? Slave is a more negative context due to the more recent antebellum slavery connotation. Okay. And bondservant right. has the willingness to serve and wanting to serve and it huh. appreciates the master. Okay. Okay. But is it, I don't know that a bondservant is, is purchased, whereas a slave is purchased and we've all been purchased. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So. How would you try to distinguish someone if they're, if between a servant and a slave? Part of it is like ownership. It's like I associate space huh. with ownership. Hmm. Okay. All right. And That's I think, good. Yeah. I think a servant is willing to do it. it and a slave hmm. means that you're forced to do it. I think a servant gets paid. Servant gets paid. All right. Interesting. <laughs> it's a good message. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. I try to make when I think of doulos, I, like, I immediately think of Romans 6 when it's um, either slave to righteousness or slave to sin. Yes. And it, so for me to contextualize that a little bit, it's almost like your obedience or responsibility to is it to righteousness or is it to sin? Where is like your allegiance almost? Okay, like, allegiance. Uh, I like that. There's a good word. Yeah. yeah. So where is your allegiance? Yeah. All right. Yeah, think of that like maybe like a servant is like a more temporary thing of like because you're like a servant of something. Like, slave implies almost more of like this permanent thing of like I'm like fully committed to this and can't do anything else. Okay. But a, but a bond servant is when you yeah. willfully commit to lifetime service, okay. which is kind of the most permanent hmm. possible. Yeah, I suppose you could always be so. As opposed to indentured. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, or if you're a slave, you could technically be set free. If you're a bond servant, that's not really... You've given up that. So like with, I, the, with the slave thing, you're either like a slave to the world or a slave to, to Christ. So it's like like being set free of being a slave to Christ isn't really being set free. It's just like you know, a slave to the world. Whereas like if you're a slave to Christ, it's like actually a good thing. Yeah, so so then that brings up the, the thing is it's a not... It's slavery is not necessarily a bad thing. It depends on who your master is. <laughs> it's that it's that relationship. Right. It's because that relationship. a good just okay. master will not abuse his slaves. Whereas today we think slave, we automatically think abuse. But if Jesus is, if the Lord is your master, mm-hmm. then that changes everything. Because it's really all about who your master is when you're a slave. So why would you choose to use your servant of God, let's say, versus a slave of God? Is there a difference between those two? Like, well, what sorry, are you? It sounds like somebody who, I think we've already said it, at least somewhat voluntarily gives, I think, of serving... So servant, you think of someone who voluntarily does something, is that and, right? And, Free and will. a slave as somebody who... Um, may have may have had a lot of origins, okay, including warfare or um, soul right. to somebody. Okay. Yeah, Jeff. I wonder if well, I'm thinking about the context of this as like an exile people in Babylon, right? And this yeah. idea of justice coming. Uh huh. And I wonder if you're starting to he's introducing this idea of a payment to set things right. Oh, interesting. Huh. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, because Jesus would use that idea of the debt that we've been forgiven, right? The right. $10 billion versus the, like, $40,000 huh. or whatever that we, you know, somebody might owe us or whatever. Right. And I wonder if the timing of that, it's in exile where he brings up service and then Jesus is going to say you were bought with a price. And mm. Maybe. So if you are bought with a price, would you use the word slave or servant? I think he would use the word slave. I would think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So are we talking about, we're, we're talking about English words in, in, <laughs> Very good. in um, 2021. Very good. Right. We're talking Very about, good. And so if we look at Webster, what does Webster say this is? Or if we look at an urban dictionary or something, yeah. language is fluid. Uh-huh. And so in, in 100 years ago, it would have carried different meanings. So, you know... The original language, adjusting for context of today with the meanings of these words, it could be semantic, right? These two words could be synonymous. It just uh-huh. depends on it depends on the definition that we're all assigning them yeah. to to a certain degree. Yeah. And the fact that you listen to our discussion, so you're <laughs> I'm gonna say just come over and sit right here because you you just nailed it. The context. Right? Yeah, nailed it because context. But what he's bringing up is the context is just from listening to us talk. If you were to go back and listen to it, we were mixing those, weren't we? We were sort of mixing both what we think of slavery now, what we're thinking back then happening, like you just brought up. You know, we're so we're sort of we're, we're taking these different worlds and these different words and the way they're used. And today, obviously, the word slave is is a big, huge trigger word. Okay, a, a word that just has all the stuff that comes around it. All right. Um, but as we go back and we look at scripture, it is interesting, and I think what you're bringing out is exactly, 
we have to sort of ask ourselves, you know, how is it used? Like, in a positive way, um, it's used in, you know, you're no longer a slave to sin, you are now a slave, slave to, to righteousness. Yeah. Okay, is a good example where it's like, okay, I, I can see that there. Um, you know, that makes sense. It's interesting, there's a lot of words that are positive in Christianity that are in positive in no other context. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Culturally now. Which is right. Like Christianity is a scandal, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of yeah. A good point. Yeah. I was, so, I was thinking, like, related yeah. back to, like, what I mentioned with Genesis 17, so yeah. I remember who I wrote that down, because mm-hmm. it's like, it's kind of this idea of a covenant when you, when these men in the Bible make a covenant with God or God makes it with them, it's like an exchange of how God is doing something for them, but in return they're doing something kind of like uh, back. And so with 17 it was that God said, I will make you fruitful, a uh, multitude of nations. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, it does say after that, it says, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, and you and your offering after you throughout the generations. It's like in return you have to do this. So it's kind of this almost contract that is established yeah. through them, making them a servant. And yeah. it's pretty cool, though, that it just kind of continues through these years. Like, up until now, it's still addressing him for that same reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah. Don't you think, though, too, there's these... I think sometimes we can try to take a word like slave and just make it servant. Right? And not get sort of the gravity of the word. Yeah, yeah. Because I think... I'm just thinking about, like, in Exodus, it's talking about how your slaves are treated and saying you can beat them, but you can't knock their eyes out, or you can't knock their teeth out. Uh-huh. Otherwise, uh-huh. otherwise what? You have to set them free. Okay, so, yeah, <laughs> this is one that I wrestle with, and I really need to dig into more. Yeah. But kind of the way, part of the way I read it is, like, don't do this, because, yes. you know, if if... If you had a piece of property that was valuable, and yeah. you could potentially lose it by abusing it, then it's like it's really saying don't do it. It's not. It's to me, it's not saying okay, you can do this, but only the line's here. And if you cross the line, you know it's okay up to here. It's like don't do it at all. But if this happens, then they're to be set yeah. free, which is which is. Well, I think you're right. I think it's restraining behavior, but it's behavior yeah. that I think was happening. I think slaves were property. Right? And right. I think we're treated that way. I think scripture comes in as trying to restrain that sort of violent behavior. Yeah, right? so, so abuse and slavery, you're saying. Like, abuse was part of slavery outside of Israel, for sure, in, in, in the ancient Near East or whatever, in those contexts, for sure. They were called to be different, but you're saying it's not exactly, it was not exactly an abuse-free context. Clearly. For, Clearly, right? So, slaves of Israelites were being abused, right? And there's a restriction right. there to say you can't do permanent damage, right? And there was there was special provisions for what they could do to each other versus what what they could do to Gentiles or foreigners, and there was two sets of rules. And the foreigners was a little bit more relaxed on what could be seen as abusive. I'm just saying you can't beat your servants. Don't write the teeth out. So we're talking about, in other words, right? Like, I think yeah, sometimes you try to make yeah. it, like, how do we make a G-rated version? Right. When you're right. going, I mean, there's, these it's, words had some, like, yeah, grittiness exactly. to it, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah. 
I do think scripture is moving there in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it was, yeah. Yeah. So I want to look at, yeah, go ahead. Isn't Galatians um, a tension between being slaves to the law rather than being free walking in the spirit? Mm-hmm. Or being, it is. being a slave to the yeah. world? Yeah, because um, people were being persecuted for not following the law. And there was all that tension that you're not, you're not walking the walk unless you're following the law. And then here comes another idea saying you're a slave to the law, but you could be free in the, with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it can work both ways is basically what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. The, those who are obeying the law are doing it willingly, but they in fact are a slave to the law rather than being free. Another interesting thing is that in in the Galatian, in the context of Galatian, is that there is no one who is not a slave. You just may you may not recognize it, but you're either a slave of the world, right? Right. There is no one who is not a slave. And in Isaiah, I think it's the same. There's no one who is not a slave. You're either a slave to your idols, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Or yeah, good slave to or to Yahweh. Yahweh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, continuing on with this discussion, which I, I like where Peter was talking there about just the word. I want to sort of look at a couple instances of this um, to get a little bit more clarity as we think about these words. I'm not sure we have more clarity. It might get more cloudy. But um, I have a question. Yes. Where are we on the green card? <laughs> we're, we're not on the green card. Put it back in your book. <laughs> we're looking at some of the new things that God is doing <laughs> off of the green card. Okay. Um, so I want you guys, so with your Bibles, we're going to look at some couple passages. I just want to sort of take a look at how the Bible uses these words. Okay. Um, so, I want you to look at Matthew 20. So, turn to Matthew 20. This hopefully also get a little fuller idea of, you know, when God's saying, my servant Israel, what's he talking about? Um, so, Matthew 20. And I want you to look at verse 26 through 28. Um, okay. So... Well, I'm going to sort of wake up because I'm trying to see if we can follow our follows here. So, Matthew 20, although you guys seem pretty awake right now, so that's good. Matthew 20, 26. Okay. So, I, um, so I want you to listen to what it says here. So, 20, Matthew 20, 26. I'm reading the ESV version. Okay, your versions may be different. So 2026 says, It shall not be so among you, Jesus is saying this, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your Slave. slave. Okay? Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I want you to just I want to make a note here that there are two Greek words that are being used here. Okay? 
So you notice it says, whoever among you, great among you, must be your servant. Okay, is a Greek word called diokonos. All right, and it means one who serves. It means a servant. Okay, so there's actually a word in Greek for right. servant. Okay, right. which is which is also the word for deacon, right? That's where the word deacon comes from. Yes, I think yeah. it is actually. So oh, yeah, very church, good. Right? Yeah, which is yeah. one who serves. Yeah. Okay, very good. Or, okay. or a minister. Right, right. So that is the word deaconos. Mm-hmm. All right. The word slave there, you all know already. It is what? Doulos. Doulos. All right? Okay. Everyone got that? Mm-hmm. All right. So, I now want you to turn to 1 Peter 2. No, sorry. No, not yet. Not 1 Peter. Take that back. Matthew 10. Say in Matthew. I want you to take a look at Matthew 10, 24 to 25. All right. And, um, Bill, you have the CSB there, right? I do. Okay. Okay, so I want you to be there. So I want you to, so this is Matthew 10, 24 to 25. Everyone there? Mm-hmm. Okay. 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. Okay. That's my version. All right. So if I was making assumptions here, I would assume that when it says a disciple is not above his teacher, no, a servant above his master, then the word servant there is what? Diokonos. Okay. That would be my assumption. Because that's what it's telling me there. <clears throat> it's different here. Yeah, it is different. Yeah, but when you look at the word, your servant to what? Nor a servant above his master. Master. Do do servants have masters? Yeah. Yeah. Do they? Do servants have masters? Think about today. If you're a servant, do you have a master? No. No, you <laughs> today. Don't. Because what's the opposite of a servant? In a slave. Is a slave. That's how it reads here. Okay. So in other words, um, I might be called a servant of uh, Jeff, okay, because I work for Jeff, all right? But, okay. You're a slave. Um, I'm not going to call him my master, all right? Um, we tried that. It didn't work out. I'm just trying to make sure he understands where we draw the line. Put some change in work. It seems to connote an obligation. Yeah. You what? It seems to connote an obligation. Yeah. Okay. Now, I want you to listen to Bill's version. Okay. He has the Christian Standard Bible version. And I want him to, so my version says the disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. So go ahead and read it. A disciple is not above his teacher, 
or a slave above his master. It's enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house vestibule, how much more the members of his household? Okay. Slave. You see what it's doing there? His version is translating it as slave. So servant is slave. So what is the word behind servant there, here? Doulos. Doulos. Okay. But my ESV version translates it servant. So which is right? Why? Yeah, no kidding, why? Because that's how they decided to do it when they were translating. The why? Context. Context. Okay, what about, well, then context here. They're yeah. using a manner of change. When you think of a master, you think of slave. Right. Automatically. Right. So why would the ESV, which, to be honest with you, is a very faithful, it's a Literal. very accurate, and much of its translations with words and stuff, why would ESV choose to use the word here, servant, instead of slave? Because what's the context? Here, the context is we're talking about a master and a slave. So the context definitely seems like, wow, I should use servant. Would the, you think? Wouldn't the key word be looking up master? Because it's basically, my version says Lord, uh-huh. servant, above, you know, neither is a servant above his Lord. Right. Just curious. But even if you said Lord there, would you not, I guess you could say servant, right? Okay. Hmm. So I'm just going to, I'm going to give you guys this. This is just, this even the New King James says servant. Yeah. Um, and it gets to it gets to sort of what Peter said and what you guys were all discussing here. And this is just good for our own Bible study. This is not trying to like, I mean, this is good. This is why we study. Okay? <laughs> because it's good to try to get below. And one of the things I tell people, I think Bill and I have recently had a conversation about this. Um, you know, what version should I get? I get that answer asked a lot, you know, well, what version of the Bible should I get, all right? And I go, there is no real right version of the Bible to get. If anything, what you should do is probably have multiple versions. Yeah. So you would go read, like, the CSB, and you'd read this, and you go, oh, why would they do that, all right? What's interesting about the ESV is the ESV actually tells you why they're doing this. Oh, wow. <laughs> because in... If you take a look, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, if you have whatever Bible version you have, you should take the time sometimes to read a part of the Bible, your Bible you probably don't read, which is the preface, which is where they tell you in your version of the Bible, every version of the Bible will have a preface to that Bible telling you why and how they're making decisions about how they translate words. Okay? All right. So, so it's as simple as Hebrew and Greek. Yeah, well, you would think it would be that simple, but ESV is actually bluntly honest, which I love, because you see the complexity of our translation. So I'm just going to read this. So listen to the why the ESV translates what they do, what they why they translate this. Okay, and they specifically use the word slave. 
So in their preface, when they want to give an example as to how they're making decisions about words, they've actually chosen to use the word slave as an example of why they choose to do what they do. Okay? And this is just good for us to keep in mind. So notice what it says. It says, third, it was obviously second and first. We're talking about other things. It says, a particular difficult difficulty is presenting is presented when words in biblical Hebrew and Greek refer to ancient practices and institutions that do not correspond directly to those in the modern world. Such is the case in the translation of Ebed. That's what we just looked at in Hebrew. So Ebed is a word when it says, My servant Isaiah, and it is in Isaiah 41. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is the word it's used. And doulos, Greek, terms which are often rendered slave. These terms, however, actually cover a range of relationships that requires a range of renderings. Slave, bond, servant, or servant, depending on the context. Further, the word slave currently carries associations. Now listen to what it says here. Further, the word slave currently, so they're not talking about in today's time, carries associations with the often brutal and dehumanizing institution of slavery, slavery, particularly in the 19th century America. For this reason, the ESV translation of words like Ebed and Dulos have been undertaken with particular attention to their meaning in each specific context. So, in other words, what the ESV is telling you here is they are choosing often to translate the word doulos not as slave, which is the only Greek word used for slave. The other words used are like servant and stuff like that. The only They're word used for bond servant as well? Bond servant? There's no word for Right. Well, it's one it's word. Doulos. It's doulos. Yes, okay. doulos. So they're, tra- they're choosing to translate it from slave to servant because of us and our experience in today's culture with the word slave. I'll be done. Kind of like husband and wife. You have to look at it in specific context. <laughs> yeah. But so what's interesting here is that you see an example where you can see and this is just important for us to understand, words, right? Yeah. Words matter. And we're, in a, <laughs> we're obviously in a society that words matter. Um, you see here that even in the translations that we have, we always have to remember men are making trans, men, women are making mm-hmm. translation choices. And they're choosing here, and they're actually admitting that they're choosing to use words based on sensitivities within our own culture yeah. of how they're translating the biblical word. And that's just for us to know. I mean, no one's, that's why translations are never perfect. It helps us to just realize, wow, we need to be sort of having multiple translations and think about those things and think about words and how they matter. Um, because, again, I'm going to go back to the question, um, what is the difference between a servant and a slave? When you read the word servant, it has a connotation to it. The word slave has a different connotation to it. And they can be very different. Um, this, I'm going to read this to you. This is um, out of a commentary I was looking at. Well, it's actually out of a book called Slaves of Christ that a guy wrote 
His name was Murray Harris. And he wrote a whole book about this problem of this translation of slave. Um, he is actually a person who is one of the people on the NIV translation committee. So he's someone involved in these types of decisions and stuff. So he tells a story. He says, in October 1987 at the annual Global Ministries Institute at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, our speaker was Dr. Joseph Tyson, a Romanian pastor who had been arrested and imprisoned in 1974 and 1977, then exiled in 1981. He forcefully expressed his preference to be introduced simply as a slave of Jesus Christ. That's how he won others to address him as a slave of Jesus Christ, right. which goes right along Galatians, slave of Christ. Um, there aren't many people, he observed, who are willing to introduce me as a slave. <laughs> they substitute the word servant for slave. In 20th century Christianity, we have replaced expressions like total surrender with the word commitment, and slave with servant. But there is an important difference. And this is where he gets at what is the difference between a servant and slave when we when we hear that today and read that. A servant gives service to someone, but a slave belongs to someone. A servant gives service to someone, but a slave belongs to someone. We commit ourselves to do something. But when we surrender ourselves to someone, we give ourselves up. So the thing, the um, his whole thing of going through and looking at the Old Testament, the New Testament usage and everything of these words of Obed and of Dumas is sort of across the board in the biblical perspective, and I would probably say that might be true today, is a someone whose person, so a slave... Dulos or Obed is someone whose person and service belong wholly to another. That's amazing. When your person and service belong wholly to another, and it comes down to the question, Which is who right. are we? <laughs> Slave. Are we are we <laughs> slaves of Christ? <laughs> or are we just merely servants of Christ? Who said husband and wife? Was that built? <laughs> Slave would be the better. <laughs> no, Derek. Yeah. But, but uh, this is all well and good in terms of an ideal situation, but we are all somewhere in between. We but what? Can, because because we, we are human beings right. and we make choices, and right. sometimes they're bad choices. Right. So... I, Absolutely, we're in between. We're, we're people in, in process of growth. But I think as you as we read, and I, we go through some other passages here, but if you look in the New Testament over and over again, we looked at this when we looked at Galatians um, 1.10. Over and over again, Paul, how does he address himself? He opens his letters by saying to you, I am a slave of Christ. I am a slave of God. He actually opens his letters identifying himself. Now, Paul was not perfect either, believe it or not. I mean, his, most, most, most of us know he wasn't. He, he actually was just honest about it. I'm chief of all sinners. And yet he opened himself and, and 
gave himself the you know the identity. This is who I am. And you'll see in Titus, you'll see in Philippians, you'll see in Galatians. He opens it up and he keeps saying, "I am a slave of Christ. I am a slave of Christ. I am a slave of God." So it's not that we have to go around telling each other that. In fact, you guys put it down there that we're slaves of Christ. It's not that we have to go around telling each other that. But it's important to say there's a distinction by how do I look at my Lord and Savior? Do I look at him as just someone I'm serving, that I can choose whatever I want to to serve someone else or serve the world? Or am I going to remind myself that I am a slave of God? I am a doulos of Christ, and I wholly belong to him. And Jeff said precisely the reason why. We are not a slave to anybody else. In fact, again, I won't spend the time going through the passages here, but we're not a slave to anybody else. We're a slave only to Christ. Why? Because he is the one who, what? He died on the cross. He died on the cross. He bought us. He bought us. He owns us. He does. Holy. We're his children. He owns us for service. And and exactly what it says here. Holy for our service, and that we belong wholly to him, no one else. And so you're right, Gil, we're not who we are. <laughs> that's that's sanctification, that's why our we don't say in our vision of our church, we don't say um, the, the mission of our vision of, of our church is that we are Christ. <laughs> we say we are, what, becoming like Christ. Yeah. We're in process, but we also in that process are already striving in to Christ, right. holy in Christ, redeemed by Christ, reconciled in Christ. And ideally a slave to Christ. We are a slave of Christ. It, the question is, are we living you know, that way? Anyway, Jeff, you were... Oh, I was just wondering if like, would you say... I'm wondering if that term is relevant before the fall. You know, like Adam and Eve in the garden, are they slaves to Christ? Or is that Mm. a result of sin and redemption? I I mean, not that it's Christ, but just have done what they did. Yeah, I mean, think of the definition of someone whose person or service belong wholly to another. Genesis 1. 26. You are created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created us. Male and female, he created us. Who is our creator? Who created us? We're the created. He is a creator. I think right there you have set up. Yeah. We're slaves of, we're slaves of God. <laughs> yeah. It's I would so, argue that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that well, would be my thought. Is that we always have been. Yeah, from the or, point of creation. That's right. Right. But I would almost prefer like children. Yeah. <laughs> and we're called that. Well, so, yeah, we are called that. And we are called that. So, we are called that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I have yeah. the King James Version here. In, uh-huh. in Jeremiah 2, 14, the verse says, Is Israel a servant, which is a bed? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? And if you look up homeborn slave, yeah, it's a born child. Yeah. 
So I think. And there's actually a Hebrew word for slave that's exactly. of a child. It's, it's different. It's Yoren, Yoren. Is it? And that means. Yeah, exactly. That means. A, a, a born, a child. child. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, Charles. This is not an original thought because I read this yesterday, yesterday, I think. Um, But we forget about original blessing when we talk about original sin. That's oh, interesting. Um, That before original sin, we were blessed. We were children of God. Uh, Yeah. We put a lot of emphasis on the sin, the original sin, and not the original. Very good. Very good. We had a relationship with God. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Which is why it's always good. I mean, in fact, I think Chad and I were, I think we were talking about this other day on the phone. Um, I mean, that's why two places to always go in Scripture. Go before the fall (laughs) and go after Christ comes again. And you want to see as to who we are and who we're meant to be? There you go. We're children... We're children of God, without sin. He is our creator. We are the created. Um, I mean, you just see on both ends of those, you know, ultimately, there's only one we worship, and that's Christ and God on both ends. You know? But we make the choice to become slaves, because when you were talking about yeah. Paul, it struck me again yeah, about Paul, point. that in the world system, he didn't have to be anybody's slave. He was... A Jew's Jew, a Pharisee's Pharisee, a citizen. He had everything that his culture offered him. Right. He was at like the top of the heap. Right. Yeah. For him to become subservient to Christ was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think uh-huh. of it before or after, though, because it's after the fall is when God says, "Curses the ground because of you through painful toil." You will now. It's like that almost feels like. Your life is going to be hard, almost as the slaves would be, and the woman will go through childbirth. That's after the fall. Before that, right? It's it doesn't seem that they were in that same you know subject to that same type of toil or yeah. pain. Uh, yeah. So it, that's just a really interesting thought. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can I share one thing, Greg? Yeah. It kind of has to do with like what we were talking about on the phone yesterday, but also like was saying like we're all somewhere in between of like we all make bad decisions but like the thought that keeps coming to my head is like we talked about like slave actually being used as a good thing and it seems to me that like if you're a slave to the world you're just going to become more and more and more and more enslaved to it as you do more things but like I think we forget to look because I've heard so many times of like people say like this person's become enslaved to sin or we're enslaved to sin and like it's true but like I feel like there's this other side of like this huge positive being like enslaved to Christ, and then you're just becoming more and more enslaved to Christ. Mm. But it's like this really good thing as you do more, because it's like the example I can think of is like as you do more, like if you serve him more and do different things more, you're, he's going to reveal more of himself to you because like you're you're experiencing like more firsthand by mm-hmm. spending more time with him, and then it becomes like an addiction of like oh I want to see more of him, and you just become more and more enslaved to it of like as you're seeing more parts of God and more of his beauty, you become almost enslaved to that beauty. It's like it's, but it's this huge positive thing of being yeah. enslaved to it. It's like we used to talk about the glory of God. I mean, right. that's what you strive for, is to experience the glory of God. Right, but like... He really is. But yeah. like striving towards, like, experiencing the glory of God is like this very positive form of, like, enslavement of, like, you want more and more of it and you start to see it 
and everything, that becomes like the center. Yeah. So also you see how God is saying a language and transforms it because the word slave, which we have considered and see is so negative, all of a sudden becomes the way to rightly describe the relationship we have with mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Because we know why. Why can we truly be a slave and give ourselves wholly over to God? Which is the whole problem with Isaiah and all of the Bible. Why don't we want to do We want to trust in the world. We want to trust in ourselves. Because we don't wholly trust in God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the hardest thing I've watched with my son, who is a Marine, and he's, a, he's got a family. It's a young man's name to, um, to let go and let God move through you. Because you think that... I'm not sorry. I'm sorry I'm not saying you. I mean, a young man thinks... It's important for him to be uh, a, to do things mm-hmm. for himself. I mean, that's part of it. You, part of growing. But when you get to a certain place and you see that you you've kind of run the gamut of what you can do, right? Then it's time. You know. Then you. So it, it is really an aging process, and it's also a process. And this is why I'm wondering, uh, uh, just philosophical side uh, it, it, this all ties in with free will mm-hmm. and uh, uh, predestination and what was the nature of evil from the beginning and why I mean all those it's easy to so it's easy to go down those rabbit holes but what I think I hear you say is that we just need to serve and not uh, press in too much on these other things, which are really not our province. Am I making sense? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it just it comes down to again, who are we wholly serving? Notice we're holy there. It's all of us. Holy, holy, like whole, holy. Um, well, God you see, you see Paul. He's just yeah, yeah. And, and that's the blessing that came before right. all the rest of it. You remember Galatians 2.20, okay, one of the ones we, I have been, you, you get this total devotion as to why Paul says I'm a slave of Christ. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Why am I this way with Christ? Who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paid the price for me. Um, yeah, Eric. I think what Gil's talking about is the whole concept of being in the world but not out of the world. Yeah, it is. It, it is exactly that. Um, Jeff, you were right. Oh, I, well, I was just thinking, in, in some ways, you see Paul chooses that title almost pragmatically because he talks about our glory and our sonship and we're heirs and we're right. all these things, right? But he just and goes, children of God. This is how I identify myself. Right. It's just God's life. Yeah. Right? You know, and you're going, it almost serves us better to keep our focus there. Yeah. Of like just lay down, lay down your will. It's almost like, you know, again, words matter. So how are we describing it? How do we view ourselves to Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Every day when we wake up in the we yeah, we're children of God because we're loved by him. Yeah. But what is that relationship like? He he is our master, he is our Lord. Um, and I think what's interesting about it, uh, did you want to... Uh, it was kind of on a tangent, but it was just how, like, we 
see ourselves as being redeemed through Christ. And this is parallel, like, what was it like before Christ? And kind of just a little bit ahead in 43.2.3. It just says how, it's, it's almost in a very, very similar context. Like, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. But he's addressing now, like, what is God to Israel? And it's their Savior. It says, I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for use. So he's, like, talking about how this is what he's doing to redeem Israel, and that's, in a way, for me, it, it kind of speaks to how now Israel becomes a servant or a, yeah. a slave. When you change master to savior, it's like, for us, it's like, I, I accept a lot more uh-huh. easily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that's what, so, well, let me, as we look through, the reason why I wanted to spend time on this today is because, really, this is the issue for Israel, which is our issue today which is we're going to find out as we go through here, that Israel is being called, I mean, they are to be slave to Yahweh, all right? And Yahweh is saying, you are my servant, you are my slave, you are the ones who I I bought. And for them, that price that was bought was back in Egypt from the Exodus. But what we see is that God's calling Israel, my servant, my servant. But as we go through Isaiah 40, what we're going to find out is Israel, Isaiah, Israel is still not fully God's servant. And so what ends up happening, which was all the plan of scripture anyway, is that Israel could not truly fulfill being that. And well, so there had to be a servant. Nobody can. Right, well, I mean, but no, only how, who but can live one, up to that. So, only, no one so person we're standing can. In, in the midst of mercy and grace. Right. And one person can. But one person and can, and that's Christ. That's Christ. Christ. Nobody else. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what you see in this story here is that desire to be a servant. You fail. Ultimately, you find out what does a servant need? <laughs> he needs right. someone who's going to purchase him, right. he needs someone who's going to forgive him, he needs someone who's going to redeem him. And that's what we're going to see in Isaiah, is they cannot fully fulfill that, and they need Christ ultimately to do that. So, um, anyway, I want to end, and we'll, I'll let you guys go. I want to be end at 8.30. So, so next week, we're going to start in on Isaiah 40. And if you guys want to beforehand, start trying to read. Think, I want you to think of yourself as a slave of Christ, as a slave of God, as we go through here. What does it mean to be a servant, a slave? Okay, in this sense. As you're reading Isaiah 40, I want you to just read Isaiah 40 to 41, 7, I think is what we got to. Yeah. Just read through there and maybe write down your notes. What is this revealing me about who God is? Who is this one I serve? Who is this one I'm a slave to? And just read it and start getting an idea of who is this God who's revealing himself to me? Just asking me to be his slave, all right? Because ultimately, it's not just about our relationship with God, but it ultimately is the other part of our vision of our church. We are to become like Christ. Anybody remember? Don't say it, yes. Anybody know the vision of our church? Become like Christ. It doesn't end there. Serve others. Right. Become like Christ for the sake of others. Why do we say that? Because I go back to Galatians, and we'll end with this. This is what it says in Galatians 5.13. 
For you were called to freedom. We were set free because of what Christ has done for us. You were called to this freedom. You are now free in Christ, as we learn. Only do not use that freedom. So you're like a slave that's been set free, but you're still, you've been set free from sin. You've been set free from the world. But you've been set free to become the slave of Christ. But what does that mean? It says, for you were not, you, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But what do we use our freedom for? Through love, through love, dumos one another. Yeah. Only when Christ, we are in that relationship, understand he is our master and we is a slave. Only then can we truly be slaves to one another. And that's exactly the word that's used there. But through love, dumos one another. Be slaves to one another. Because you know who you ultimately are slave to. So I can give my life to him, to Steve. Okay, I mean, we can give our lives for one another because he gave his life for us. That's that's the Christian life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To love is nothing. To love someone is something. (laughs) But to... Love and be loved is everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. It's All very right. Good. Thank you, guys. Uh, let me close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this. Just uh, looking at your word and just the ways in which it convicts us, Lord. Um, and I think, as, as Gil has said, just humbly knowing that we cannot be the slave of Christ. On our own. We only can do that because you have given us the power of your spirit that lives in us. The very presence of the one who died for us lives in us. And through that word that you've given us tonight, through the power of the spirit in us, Lord, may we look to you and declare that we are doulos. We are slaves of your son. Father, again, I just um, bless Reuben as he is going to learn how to love one another (laughs) in the marriage, Lord, where we have an opportunity to become one. And so we just bless him. I just um, pray for all, all of us who are married, Lord, that we go home tonight to our wives, that we can become slaves to them, love them as you have loved us. Let's do that with everyone we meet, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.